Good morning. So, dawn of a kingdom. We've been looking for a king, for a king of Israel, and we've got to an exciting moment a few weeks ago where we have a king. Israel has a king for, for the first time, King Saul, the first king of Israel, a reluctant king at times when his name was, was called um, because he'd been, been chosen to be king. They had to go and find him from where he was hiding amongst the luggage. But he's turned out to be a king who saves. If you heard Ruth's message a, a few weeks ago, um, the, the city of Javesh Gilead had been besieged by Nahash the Ammonite. They sent out a call from help. It came to the ears of Saul. Saul sent out a call throughout the land, and a mighty army gathered, and they struck down the Ammonites. It was a great victory for the people of Israel. Saul attributed the, the glory to God for that victory. He said, Today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel, and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. It's going pretty well at this point. It's looking good for our new king, for King Saul. But the Ammonites were not the only enemy on the borders of Israel. And today we're going to look at how Saul fared when he came up against the Philistines. I'm going to read from uh, chapter 13 of 1 Samuel. I'm going to start at verse 2, read through to verse 15, uh, but I'm going to pause along the way because there's quite a lot going on at times, so I want to, to explain that as we go. So, chapter 13, verse 2. Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent home every man to his tent. Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard it said that Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines. And the people were called out, to join Saul at Gilgal. So Saul has established a standing army. That's his 3,000 men. First time that Israel has, has had that, an army ready to, to fight battles. It's a bit of a strategist, Saul, so he's divided them into two companies. He's got 2,000. Jonathan, his son, has got the other 1,000. Jonathan's taken a bit of initiative. He's gone out. He's attacked the Philistine outpost, and he's, he's had some victory there. Saul gets the credit for it. Um, but now, Israel has become a stench to the Philistines. The Philistines are not going to let this pass. And so it's inevitable now that there's going to be a full-on conflict with the Israelites against the Philistines. The standing army isn't going to be enough for this. So Saul blows the trumpet. He sends out a call. He summons all Israel to come. Last time against the Ammonites, 
he had 330,000 men responded to the call and that mighty victory. So we're hoping, we're expecting the same to happen again. Verse 5. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and the people followed him, trembling. He waited for seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me, and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Let me just explain for those of you unfamiliar with the rites and customs and rules of first century, um, not first century, way before that, <laughs> of ancient Israel. These, these offerings, this was a, a sacrifice of an animal. It's a massively important part of, of their religion, of their worship to God. But it had to be done just right. To be acceptable to God, it had to be done in the right way. There's masses of rules about it in the Old Testament. And crucially, it had to be done by the right person. It had to be done by a priest. Now, Samuel, we've met Samuel previously. He wasn't born a priest, but he was adopted into the priesthood. He was a priest. And it seems there was an arrangement for him to come and offer this sacrifice. That would have been great. Saul was not a priest. So the, the original hearers of this, when, when Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me, I think there would have been a sharp intake of breath at that point. What is going to happen? Is he going to come out of this alive? It's also a pretty messy business, these sacrifices. I won't um, go through all the gory details. You can read those for yourself in Leviticus chapter 1. Suffice to say, there's, there's going to be blood on Saul's hands at this point. The drama is building in this story. What is going to happen next? As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. I'm imagining Saul rubbing his hands on his tunic. How do I look, guys? Can I get away with this? There's blood here, blood there. <laughs> Goes out, and maybe I won't shake your hand. <laughs> Great to see you, Samuel. Thank you for coming. Just put that water, never mind. How was your journey? Glad you could make it. Did you get a bit lost along the way? Oh, you ignored the sat now, did you? <laughs> but there's no small talk from Samuel. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, 
when I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. The rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. Imagine the contrast. Against the Ammonites, 330,000 men. That's half of Nottingham. Now, Saul's got 600 men. You could fit 600 men in this room. I don't know if we'd be allowed to sit them down for... No, no, says Rick. <laughs> if we ignored the fire regulations, we could have 600 men here. God could do a lot with 600 men. If, you, if you've read the book of Judges, you, you might remember Gideon. He started off with 30-odd thousand. God kept telling him to send people home until he had 600 men, just 300 men. He defeated the Midianites with 300 men. God, God could use them. But I don't think that's what Saul's thinking about right now. Saul's thinking about the fact that he's been deserted. This whole week, he was waiting seven days for, for Samuel. It's just been a downward spiral for him. He's been watching the Philistines mustering their chariots, their horsemen, troops like the sand on the seashore. And he's watched. We don't know how many Israelites responded and then how many disappeared, but he's watching the Israelites not coming and then hiding in the holes and the tombs and the cisterns. I think he's pinning all his hopes on Samuel coming and saving the day. But then even Samuel doesn't show up. It's a bad week for Saul. And then to cap it off, when Samuel does come, he drops in this thing about an everlasting kingdom. I don't know if Saul had even started thinking about his succession. He was a new king at this point. Someone says, ah, oh, you could have had a kingdom that lasted forever. But now you've messed that up as well. And then Samuel leaves. Leaves Saul alone. Saul's meant to be a king, but it's as if he has no subjects. He's meant to be a military leader, but he barely has an army. He's meant to be king over God's people leading them. But he's been shunned even by the priest. I bet he felt his whole world was collapsing 
around him. I wonder if you've ever had a week like that. A week of your hopes being dashed, of dreams fading away, of plans that you've made having to be rewritten for the future. You might even be there today. Maybe you've started a a university course and gone along to the lectures, but just found it doesn't make any sense. Is it just me? Is he talking gibberish? Turns out it is just you. You can't, can't do it, can't understand it. Maybe you've been in a a relationship and you've been thinking where it's going. You've been imagining your family home and your children, but then it's all fallen apart. Perhaps you've started a job. You've been through the interviews, you've got the job, but then you've turned up and week one, you can't do it. I've been there, actually. I, I was a teacher for a while. I distinctly remember, you know, in, in, in the early weeks of my NQT year, situations in classrooms where I thought, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I can do this. And the dawning realization that actually, you know, it was beyond me to learn how to do it at that point. Maybe you've had some medical tests where the results were disappointing and changed everything. Exam results that meant you couldn't do what you had in mind to do. Crisis moments like these don't just change our plans. They challenge our identity, our sense of worth. They cut right to the heart of who we are. And they can be quite revealing of what's going on inside. You know... Saul was meant to defeat the Philistines. When Samuel was about to meet Saul for the first time, God told him that it was coming. The Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time, I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. The Philistines were souls to defeat. But you know, he never did it. He fought them several times throughout his kingship, but it it was David, his successor, who ultimately defeated them. This was Saul's moment to shine. But he fell down in the absence of his spiritual friends, the insecurities from his backstory came flooding back, and he neglects the call of God on his life, and he shirks his personal responsibility. So, why did it all go wrong? so wrong for Saul? Why did it all go so wrong? And how can we avoid the same trap? Let's um, take a look at Samuel and Saul's conversation. So verse 10, as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? I don't think that was the kindest start from, uh, from Samuel. 
as, as, as we're being spiritual friends to people. Let's, let's maybe avoid that as an opening gambit. And, you know, he could have said, oh, hi, hi, Saul. Sorry I'm a bit late. How's it going? You know, he could, he could have got to that later. But th- there's, there's a point there, actually. Our spiritual friends are amazing. They're so important. I need more spiritual friends. I need to invest more in the ones I've got. But spiritual friends are not always going to be there. And even if they are there, they're not always going to be on form because they're people. And we mustn't get over-dependent on them. I think Saul was expecting Samuel to come and save the day. All his hopes were, were pinned on that. I think he was kind of paralyzed without Samuel. And we mustn't let that happen. What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Saul knew that he wasn't meant to offer the offering. He, he was panicking. And he's making excuses for it. But actually, it's quite helpful to, to see how he ended up thinking, thinking what, what he did. And what he does is informed by what he sees. He sees that the Philistines were mustering. He's watching this army like sand on the seashore building up. He saw that the um, people were scattering. He was being deserted by his army. He saw that his spiritual friend, he saw that Samuel was not coming. Yeah, it's no wonder, actually, that he was panicking at this point. But isn't our world full of enemies? Full of broken promises? Full of desertion and loneliness? And I think Saul lost sight of some things which could have given him a completely different perspective on this. If we think back to when Saul was first called, the call of God on his life to to become the king, you might remember Samuel gave him a series of signs, things that would happen, and then a promise that followed on from those. Do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. God is with you. That was a promise for Saul to cherish, a promise for Saul to hold on to, a promise for Saul to bring to mind in moments of trouble, to focus his eyes and move forwards. Even earlier, when when Samuel first met Saul, he said, For whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? How can Saul turn around and say, I have not sought the favor of the Lord? What more favor is he looking for than all that is desirable in Israel? 
He has the favor of the Lord. God is with him. Why did he not grasp hold of that? Why did he not rally the troops and move on? But can't we fall into the same trap? Does God really love me today? Is God really for me today? After these things that have happened, I don't feel like God loves me. He does. Just as we were celebrating in our worship time, God is for us. God loves us. His love is never ending for us. We need to know that God keeps his promises. Yeah, when I was coming to the end of my teaching and um, deciding to move on, God gave me a, a picture which, which encouraged me. He gave me a picture of a suitcase in which was packed all of the stuff that I'd learned from teaching that I was to take on with me to the rest of my life. And that gave me comfort that it was okay for me to be stopping teaching. It gave me comfort and that it wasn't God's will for me to, God's call on me to be doing that at that time. And it gave me comfort that it hadn't been a waste of time as well, that there were things that God had given me during that. I've brought a suitcase with me, just for those of you who don't know what it looks like. This, this is the kind of thing I had in mind. Um, and I, I think this can be helpful for us, actually, because as we go through our lives, we pick up experiences that, have sh that are there to shape us, for us to reflect back on. And we pick up promises that are there to guide us and help us and encourage us. If, like Saul, you've got promises that are from God for you, cherish those, hold on to those, carry them with you, think on them, pray about them. Don't neglect them. The Bible is full of promises for us as well. Let's think on those. You know, I will not leave you or forsake you. There's a reason we give these things to our children as memory verses. It's not just a thing for them to do. These are to equip them and us for our lives. I am with you always to the end of the age. Even if you don't know Jesus yet, there are things here for you. I have come that you may have life. Come to me and I will give you rest. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. What's in your suitcase? There are verses that you remember, that you hold on to. There are experiences that you've had which help you. As you go through life, if God provides something for you, remember it. Put it in the suitcase. If God is faithful to you, carry that with you. If God answers a prayer, remember that. Think on it. It will bless you and encourage you as you walk forward. As a parent, you learn that 
If you want your child to stop doing something, it's quite helpful to distract them onto doing something different instead. Don't play with that, play with this instead. Don't eat that, eat this instead. It doesn't work so well if the other thing isn't as exciting as the thing they were doing. <laughs> Don't play with this shiny, expensive thing, play with this plastic toy, that doesn't work. But. <laughs> it's the same for us, though. Saul's vision was, was full of the enemy, the fact he was deserted, the fact that, that Saul wasn't there. He needed his vision to be full instead of the promise of God on his life, the call of God on his life. And what's more amazing than God himself? Chris, do you want to come? We need to fill our vision with God's. Remember what he's done for us. Remember the promises over us. But more than that, look at God. The more we look at him, the more we worship him, the more we enjoy him, the more he fills our vision, the more everything else will fade away. You know, King David, who's coming, he got this much more than Saul did. He wrote this, I have set the Lord always before me. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's fill our gaze with him. We're going to worship him now.